Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo. <laughs> It's time for the movie. The movie. I have to sneeze. <laughs> Speaking of bless you. I was about to say, God bless your soul. <laughs> Speaking of bless you, um, we're talking about the omen. The original omen. The original. Uh, you know, the one about the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. You know the one. Arguably the second one is also about the Antichrist, but this is There's the... so many of them. Yeah. And then there was a remake who was also written by the same guy. Oh. I don't know, man. Huh. I have the notes. Ooh, glad we'll someone does. Um, yeah, we're talking about the Omen, the original. Um, I have got notes. Are you ready? Yes. Cool. I liked the little gasp. That was nice. <laughs> My notes are all out of order, so if this um sounds ridiculous, hush. Uh, <laughs> it was directed by Richard Donner. He also made Superman in 1978, The Goonies, Scrooged, and the Lethal Weapon series. He did The Goonies. He did The Goonies. Oh, I can't tell that at all. No, you really can't. You really huh. can't. Um, also, it was just funny, because, like, the Lethal Weapon series, too, is also, like, a buddy cop, not goofy, but, like, I mean, it has its moments of being kind of funny. I don't know. I've never seen Trek. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I was just surprised, because this one's a very, it's a very dry film, huh. compared to, like, The Goonies, which I think is very funny and has little quips and moments, and I, agree. I don't know. I agree. I think that this movie is very, um, kind of, like, shortbread. Where yeah. it's very classic, the orchestral music. And really, it's just yeah. Like, a lot of things happening. It's very, sh- yeah. It's know. very much like a nice, simple bread. You know what you're getting yeah. with this movie, yeah. you know? The Goonies is like a, it's like a fruit bread. You never know. Fruit yeah. bread? I meant like fruitcake. Yeah? Yeah. Did you? Did I don't you? know anymore. Okay, it was written by David Seltzer. <laughs> the heir to the Seltzer fortune. I actually don't know that, but that'd be funny. That would be really funny. Uh, no. All he, Seltzers uh, under his name. Everything the light touches is our Seltzer. I want some seltzer. Um, He also wrote Bird on a Wire. Uh, He did a lot of the Omen sequels and the remake. Uh, He was also a character creator for like a lot of films. He mostly just did like, it was just a lot of films. I was like, I don't really know these. I don't know if they were just lesser known. And he wasn't really a a writer director for all of them. It was kind of like co-writer, character creator. It was kind of all over the place. Hmm. So he's done a lot of things. Um, Let's see. Um the cinematography was gilbert taylor he also did uh dr strangelove a hard day's night repulsion and star wars wait 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 star wars the original star like the first oh, one. shit like okay star wars <laughs> so four. Got it, got it got it um uh so i had a little some a few facts about like his work um so he started using bounced and reflected light to gain like a more natural look instead of using direct light, which is what a lot of people were doing in the time. Like yeah. that was kind of the, like the industry standard. Yeah. So he was very, not like sought after, but I think if that was a look that directors liked, it was very much like, oh, we definitely got to have him. So he worked with a lot of well-known directors because they liked what he was doing, mm-hmm. obviously. And then Star Wars kept a lot of the themes and things that he did because it became like part of the yeah. series. Like they were like, oh, we got to keep that. So a lot of the things that we're seeing in, like, the new movies are still from his techniques. The aesthetic was part of the brand. Yeah. So good on him. Um, And, I I mean, the cinematography in this is cool. 
it's not as like I think cool and wild as some of the other films he's done or interesting, but it's still good. Um, but we'll get to why I think, yeah, we'll get to it. Um, and the music was by Jerry Goldsmith, who mm-hmm. I believe we've talked about because he did five films in the Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did three within the Rambo franchise. Mm-hmm. Rainbow? <laughs> Rainbow or Rambo? <laughs> I really never thought that I had an issue with that word until he was like, it really sounds like you're saying rainbow. And he was right. Adel was correct. I do sound like I'm saying rainbow 100%. If you do, I do. Say it. No. <laughs> I, I'm under pressure. Which one? Rambo. 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 See, rambo. I don't know. Guys, I don't know. He did three movies within the Rambo franchise. Rambo. He did Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Poltergeist, mm. Gremlins, Mulan, and The Mummy. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still kind of reeling. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. It'll get you. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, there is. Very, very, very talented composer. Yeah. Um, won a lot of awards. Um, let me see. I believe the this movie in particular, I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, he received an Oscar, the only one in his career for this movie. Yeah. Which so. makes me feel bad. Oh, no. Well, I just... It's a music opinion that i have that is not founded on any great knowledge it's right just, i don't really like that <laughs> yeah and i mean i can see why it wouldn't be for everybody but yeah it's it's very intense um and yeah he won he won an oscar for it so yeah people very much like this and he's very talented he did a ton of movies and like composed a lot of stuff he composed there's a ride at disney that's like super popular or whatever he composed all the music for that he's done a lot it's a small um, world after all please oh, tell me so sorry i don't want to break your heart it's soren I don't know what that I is. I know. <laughs> okay, so the budget. Yeah. The budget was $2.8 million. I actually have, like, how much it made in its opening weekend this time. Oh. So $2.8 million was the budget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then I have the number for what it actually made in its opening weekend. Take a guess. $10 million. No. Uh, it actually made $4,273,886 oh. okay. million. So it did well, yeah, obviously. a little bit. But if you want to know how much it made within its entire run yes. and this includes us and canada it made 60.9 million <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> nice 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 uh it was the sixth highest grossing film in 1976 oh yes and i okay, do okay, have okay. the first five the first five films were rocky oh. a star is born king kong silver streak all the president's men and then the omen hold on a star is born that's yeah. not originally Lady Gaga's? It is not. That has actually been remade um, many times. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So the story is quite old, actually. Um, it's been remade, I think, I, I think like multiple times. I know that. I thought it was like a biopic. I don't know anything. No. I don't watch things, Nikki. <laughs> I, I only, only watch horror. I only know it wasn't because when I worked at the theater and it like when the uh, Lady Gaga version like came out, uh, there was like a marathon in the bar that I was bartending in and they would show like all of them. Okay. And so I only knew because I was like, oh God, this again? Huh? So yeah, they played them all. Um, so yeah, in 1976, it was very popular. Not as popular as Rocky, well, but almost. <laughs> I have a fun uh, fact for you in Nerd Oh, corner. hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just have a few more little tiny facts and then uh, we'll get going. Uh, so originally the script was meant to be kept ambiguous. They didn't want the audience to necessarily know if Damien was actually the Antichrist or yeah. not. And then they were like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. 
Uh, also, Lee Remix, the, the mom, uh-huh. her reaction during the baboon scene was authentic. I, I don't know. I didn't get any other information other than apparently it's authentic. Which I guess if there was, even if you told me, hey, all of these baboons are going to jump on your car, I would still be quite scared. So yeah, that, that checks out. I'd be frightened. Yeah, I'd be quite frightened. Baboons are really scary. I am very afraid <sighs> of apes and monkeys. They're, they're and pretty scary, man. They, I respect them. This is not to say like, I'm afraid so they're bad or no. they're vicious. No, I'm just a wary of nature. Yeah. They're and especially just, you know, primates. They're, they're quite tough. They're tough little things. Yeah, they are. I don't want to yeah, get, you know. Still beautiful. Um, <laughs> They're gorgeous creatures that I would like to keep my distance That's from. That's how I feel you. about whales. Just because I'm scared of whales doesn't mean I don't want to, like, see them. I think mm-hmm. they're beautiful. Just if ever one gets near me, I'll piss my pants. Eh. So, don't. This is what I'm saying, whales. <laughs> this is a warning to this whales everywhere. call out, whales. You've been warned. You're on notice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, so, I do have what the Latin means in the i think it's the opening song it's either the opening song or one of the ones in the film yeah it means we drink the blood we eat the flesh raise the body of satan huh yeah what a good time so i thought they were saying (laughs) i told kate this already Uh, i didn't understand the latin obviously because i don't speak latin i thought they were going baby boo (laughs) and nikki was like boo his hate the baby i I thought they were like booing the baby (laughs) baby boo (laughs) it'd be a reasonable thing to say i really thought and then i was like it's probably latin it's probably probably latin yeah it was is it pink pajamas penguins on the bottom Pajamas, what is that? What that's are you doing? The, that's the Lion King song. When you don't know the lyrics. <laughs> I thought you just had a stroke. I don't know what you were doing. You were vibing to it though. I you was were dancing. Though. You were like, I'm concerned. Dances through so it. So Kate has a stroke. I'm going to dance. <laughs> I just want you to see something nice before you go. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm she sorry. She with a smile on her face. Bless her heart. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, 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 okay. I know it's, I know it's time. Uh-huh. I don't even know. I, wh- what is there to say other than the baby is the Antichrist? What? I mean. Yeah, because nothing else happens. I'm, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything happens because of the baby. Uh, scary baby is mean. No, there's mm-hmm. more to that. <laughs> I think there's more here. It's like a buddy cop film with the baby and the nanny. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you know what? I stand by that one. Okay. You can quote me on it. Okay. Give me a real summary. Because I know it's not a buddy cop film. Although it could be. I would love to see a little sitcom with the nanny and the baby. And they're like, they cross their arms. They put their uh-huh, backs uh-huh. to each other. And they go, me? And the nanny goes, no, you. Because, Do you like okay. that? <laughs> no, that was gorgeous. Thank I you. can like see that. Mm-hmm. Just you know, changing families across the U.S. I think. But a slight uh, wrinkle in the plan. Damien doesn't really do anything. He just kind of, like, stands there looking menacing. So, like, is he the useless cop and the other one is, like, super competent and, yeah. like, always, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. He's the cop that shows up with, like, his sunglasses. Yeah. He's clearly hungover. He's on mm-hmm. his tricycle and he's just not having it. Okay. And the nanny is like, oh, come on. You know, I'm always cleaning up for you. And then oh, the gosh. lazy one gets all the credit all the time. Yep. Like he gets so much credit for being the Antichrist. But Baylock is all doing the all the work. Kills the mom, attacks the dad. She kind of doesn't. She kind of just releases Damien. In we'll the, get to that, that part. I love that moment. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll give, me a, about give me a summary. <laughs> American diplomat Robert adopts Damien when his wife, Catherine, delivers a stillborn child. 
After Damien's first nanny hangs herself, Father Brennan warns Robert that Damien will kill Catherine's unborn child. Shortly thereafter, Brennan dies, and Catherine miscarries when Damien pushes her off a balcony. As more people around Damien die, Robert investigates Damien's background and realizes his adopted son may be the Antichrist. Gah. Find a nickel. Yeah. <laughs> For every time. I had two nickels. <laughs> it's not a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> I just can't imagine someone being like, yeah, I adopted this kid and oh fuck, it's the Antichrist again. Like, again? Again? I thought this was a once in a lifetime thing. <laughs> Statistically unlikely. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> I've bopped <Film>. it. <laughs> it's good, I think. I don't know. We'll get to it. We'll get I don't to it. Know. Okay. Like once I, we get to horror, I'll talk about. It. Maybe when you talk about Nerd Corner, I'll like see how I feel about it more. Like getting more information sometimes, like okay. Okay. reinvigorates my like for a film. Huh. Sometimes you know it doesn't. I really <laughs> don't anticipate that this Nerd Corner will make you like the movie more. God, this is like the time when I thought it was going to be about something uh, really nice, like really cool pattern pants, and instead I it, it was going to be about leg warmers and yeah. zubas, and then and it, it was, was not. It was about AIDS. <laughs> it's very sad it's so sad oh so are you ready for nerd corner i think so is it sad no okay then yeah it's more angry oh well then hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i apparently didn't write the beginning i just wrote set the scene when was this movie released <laughs> please set it and i said 1976 cool i wasn't alive then so <laughs> As, and then kate stopped there she was like i wasn't alive i don't fuck with this i don't fucking know uh usually i have like a thesis statement yeah but i do not this time it'll become clear as we go along okay, but okay i just wanted to set the scene this is Hamdeus Reyes. it's fine i said that totally wrong no one corrects me it's okay if you're an english teacher you're allowed to correct me only you though no sorry you can't i'm so sorry kate looked at me with so much fear and anger <laughs> Fear and anger. Okay, anyway. Okay, so we've talked fairly extensively about the 80s. And yeah. it's time to give the same amount of time and love to the 70s. Yeah! Sorry, the 70s is like my favorite. Ooh. For well, fashion. Mostly. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's an essay that I'm leaning pretty heavily on, and it is called Reckoning the Number of the Beast, Premillennial Dispensationalism, The Omen, and 1970s America, written okay. by Brad L. Duran, and included in the book Divine Horror, Essays on the Cinematic Battle Between the Sacred and the Diabolical. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. And finding this essay was just like a chef's kiss moment. Oh, good. It was, I love when that happens. It was everything that I wanted because I was like, okay, do I have to talk about the satanic panic? And I was like, no, that was more in the 80s. And that. so like, I was really kind of struggling. And then I saw the word or the phrase premillennial dispensationalism. And I was like, oh, there's something there. <laughs> there's something here for me to tap into. Uh, I, see, I sense it. And this is something that's never actually made it into the nerd corner. But in my notes, I have a terminology table oh good and it's it's in the nerd quarter and i put oh. all of my terminology that like is new to me or would be new to other people and i put it me. and i define it's it okay. and then i it. fold it in and so sometimes things fall off of the terminology table yeah but don't worry it's still you got it but it is an invisible table in the corner just so you know this is a peek behind the curtain i guess <gasps> who is the man behind the curtain me? I've never seen The Wizard of Oz. You've never seen The Wizard of Oz? I haven't. Were you scared of the witch? I was scared of the witch. I, and then I haven't slowly... seen it. All right. Well, I guess you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I grew like... up and I wanted to be the witch. And yeah. then guess who I played in the musical? Dorothy. No, I was Glinda. Ew. I was in the bubble and I was like, Dorothy. I wanted to be like cackling and they wouldn't let me. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's My mom when you have blonde curly hair, they don't... Oh. 
they, they typecast me, Kate, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I am a victim. I'm a victim. It's the worst thing I've ever said. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Darren, for your lovely essay. So this author outlines the relevant societal touchstones of the preceding years, and they do not mince words. No. So, quote, the social and political fallout from the struggles of the 1960s, both at home and abroad, created for many Americans of the era a sense that everything they knew and believed was crumbling around them. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so what had happened at the end of the 60s and into the 70s that was so detrimental to our sense of stability? Right. I'm not going to go in chronological order because my brain doesn't work that way. But one of the things that happened in that time period is the Watergate scandal. Yeah. So Watergate started reaching the public in 73, and that culminated in Nixon's resignation in August of 74. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of stuff that happened in the middle there. And I'm not going to go into it in great depth. I'm going to skim through it. But of note, this was Nixon's second term. Mm -hmm. He had won his election in a landslide. He had immense support and a 68% approval rating. So close. First of all, so close to nice. Second of all, that is frankly wild. That's a lot. Yeah, like, yeah. Jeez. So by the end of his presidency, when he resigned, that was down to 24%. (laughs) So the charts about like his um, approval rating and disapproval rating, these charts are really striking. And I will be including links to those because I found a number of articles. Who would have guessed that 40 years later, we have great charts. 50 years? 40 years? What is time? 50 years. Nearly 50 years later, we have excellent charts of approval ratings. Yes. So I'll post those in the extended show notes. Mm -hmm. In 73, when folks were just starting to hear about Watergate, most people, according to polls, felt that it wasn't super serious and it was probably just another like political thing that politicians do when it sucks but like that's politics that's politics however the hearings that began in may of 73 changed a lot of that public sentiment no uh still the numbers showed that the majority of folks thought yes he did something wrong but he shouldn't be removed from office and the second aspect that like he should be impeached or resign People did not start to believe that he should be removed from office until August of 74, when the House Judiciary Committee recommended he be impeached, and the Supreme Court also decided that he would have to surrender his audio tapes. So basically, there was like a period of time from 73 to mid to end of 74, where people were starting to hear about it, people heard more about it, and then there were hearings, and then there were tapes, and then the Supreme Court was like, no, you have to do this. Yeah. And so over time, people were like, oh, this is more serious than I thought, shit. Ah, fuck. So that second aspect, whether he should be impeached or resigned, that didn't reach majority until the Supreme Court said, like, hand over the tapes, and the House Judiciary Committee was like, you should impeach him. That's when 57% of the country thought he should be removed from office, which is just over half. And after he resigned, 58 of 58, 58 of those polled, of the thousands polled, yeah. 58% of those polled said that he should be tried for criminal charges and a similar majority said that he should not be pardoned by the Ford administration if he were found guilty. Drag his ass. Drag his ass. <laughs> I'm pulling all these numbers from Pew Research. And mm-hmm. obviously the caveat that polling is not always indicative of right. public because of all the things. Yeah. So that is a very simplified version of Watergate. Yeah. But the point here is that he had remarkably high <laughs> approval. Re- Would you say it's a watered down version? Everyone knows this How fucking dare you? <laughs> Oh, come on. I, gotta, I appreciate it so much. I gotta take the shot. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, continue. I was gonna make a really dumb office joke. I'm so sorry. I know. 
I was like, you miss 100% of the water shots. You don't, Kate. No. <laughs> Damn. So that's a very simplified version of mm-hmm. Watergate. The point is that he had super high approval ratings that drastically just tanked right. when the public lost trust. They yeah. were like, <laughs> you lied. <laughs> um, and then Ford did end up pardoning Nixon. Mm. And Ford's approval ratings sank as well. And folks now say that that likely factored into Ford's loss to Jimmy Carter in 76. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, in the years leading up to this movie, politically, to summarize, mm-hmm. we have a betrayal of trust and this disillusionment with leaders. Yeah. According to Duran, the last time Americans had such little faith in government was during the Great Depression. <laughs> so you could say it's not great. It's not, it's not going well. That's not all that was happening, though. Right. Yeah. So there was also devastating inflation. I didn't really know much about this. Yeah. And I I still don't know very much about it, but I can give you some facts. Yeah, all right. So an NPR article from this year explains how inflation started in the 60s -hmm. because of the sheer amount of money we were pouring into the Vietnam War. And something called the Great Society, which I put a note to Google and didn't. (laughs) It happens. We put money into it. Uh, Nixon temporarily froze prices in the early 70s to try to, like, put the brakes on it. Right. Uh, But that ultimately just delayed it. And when his measures expired or were lifted, the prices jumped back up. So there were double-digit inflation rates, which apparently is very bad. Yeah. There were also meat shortages and two major oil shocks that caused the price of gasoline to go through the roof. And those oil shocks were, like, at either end. Like, the article said they bookended the 70s. And so, like, I'm guessing it's late 60s. Early and then. Yeah. Yeah. So summary so far. Americans lose faith in government. The price of everything increases beyond the average American's ability to pay for it. This is not great. This is, this is, this is not going well. <laughs> no, it's not going well for the whole team, one would say. No. Uh, so in 79, Carter called it a crisis of confidence, mm. which seems apt if a slight understatement. There's still more, though. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so after all, these disappointments are following a decade that was marked by hope in many respects. Yeah. So the civil rights uh, movement, the war on poverty, etc., and now... To be clear, by saying this was a, quote, hopeful period, I'm not saying it wasn't still racist, homophobic, yeah. transphobic, etc. I don't want to diminish the incredible work of folks that fought for equal, equal rights and safety. I also don't want to erase the very real struggles that have been swept under the rug so people can feel like we're making progress. Yeah. Or feel like the work is done. It's not done. Back to it. <laughs> According to Duran, the 60s were marked by hopefulness and a sense of growth. Mm-hmm. And the 70s said, LOL, you thought. <laughs> So with this feeling of aimlessness or pointlessness, according to Duran, more Americans turned towards religion to yeah. see what that could offer. The Antichrist. The Antichrist, yeah. <laughs> My religion gives you. <laughs> or rather, they reconsidered the role of religion in their life. So yeah. he has this whole thing on like anti-authoritarianism and like institutionalized and organized religion, whatever. Yeah. There's a lot that I couldn't cover. Uh, but the research that Duran draws on says that in 69, about 40% of Americans expressed strong confidence in organized religion Mm -hmm. by the end of the 70s. So in 79, it was down to 20%. So it was halved. Yeah. There's the important distinction of faith being separate from organized religion. But Mm -hmm. right now we're looking at the institutional side. Right. At the U.S. So at this point in the essay, Darren Wax is poetic about who to turn to, the scientist or the clergyman, etc. It's truly gorgeous writing, but basically I'm going to boil it down to this. Americans felt directionless and anxious, and when anxiety and doubt is high, that is fertile ground for fanaticism to take hold. Yeah. As Darren explains, Christian fundamentalism had a growth spurt in the 70s, in the, quote, fallout of 1960s America. (laughs) Yeah. So what is Christian fundamentalism, and why is Darren including it on their list of fanatics? Yeah. This is, again, 
quite complicated and has a long history. (laughs) But basically, Christian fundamentalists believe in the literal truth and historical accuracy of the Bible and pay particular attention to the specifics of the end of days. Oof. Yeah. And this is just a real quick and dirty primer on anyone who isn't familiar with Western Christianity. So there are several major branches coming from just like Christianity. And every single chart says something different. Sometimes they'll be like original sin, whatever. But the basic categories, yeah. if you want to list them, are Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Anglican, and Protestant. Okay. And that's obviously only including like Christianity. Right. It's not including all of the multiple world religions. This is just Western Christianity. So then each has subdivisions within that. And the Protestant bit has many denominations right. like Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, etc. They all differ on specific readings, understandings, or outlooks, and frankly, I barely know anything about that. Yeah, I was like, I know nothing. And anyway, (laughs) Christian fundamentalism is not specific to any one denomination. Right. There have been fundamentalist groups within Presbyterian, Baptist, and Methodist churches. Those are like the big three, kind of. Yeah. But it can happen anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So it's saying that this is like an outlook that is not specific to one denomination. Right. So back to Christian fundamentalism. While it had been around since before the 1920s, it picked up more members in the 70s. There was, I think, like this, like, 1919, 1920, like, thing. It's not right. the period I'm focusing on. Can't, right, yeah. Can't do it. <laughs> not time. No. Maybe later. And then Hal Lindsey published his book, The Late Great Planet Earth. In this book, Hal explained, I call it Hal by his first name, not because we're familiar, but because yeah. we have a good, good friend named Lindsey, and I cannot it's drag their names through the mud. <laughs> I don't want to do this. No. <laughs> So Hal explained how the faithful Christians would be literally removed from the earth during the rapture. Oh God, the yeah. Antichrist, an actual physical being and not a metaphor for secularist evil, mm-hmm. would rise from the world of politics and wreak havoc on those that remained on the earth for seven years. Okay. And after that nice little seven-year period of Antichrist shenanigans, Jesus would return to the earth, the second coming, and he would fight the Antichrist. Hmm. In Hal's book, obviously, Jesus would defo win and then creates a new and eternal heaven and earth. Yay. So all of this was predicated on a literal reading of the scripture. Yeah. Now, this is not a new idea, again. And the belief system has been presented uh, or had been presented by John Nelson Darby in 1830-something or other. Okay. And it's called premillennial dispensationalism. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Lots of words. So one of the biggest draws of this belief system Mm -hmm. is the absolute surety. On this date, in this place, after this event. It's not like trust and pray and something good will happen in the it's long like, run. This is happening. Yeah. It's like, look, there's a war in this country, and that means the end of days will be in 1988. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So The Late Great Planet Earth, a nonfiction Christian prophecy book, became a bestseller. Wow. Like, actually bestseller. What sells better than certainty in a time when everything seems to be falling apart around you? Yeah. Of note, it outsold the joy of sex. No! I know! <laughs> so I love the sex! <laughs> I love the joy! I love the joy! <laughs> so that's the context of all this. We yeah. have this political upheaval. We have this distrust after this decade of seeming hope for a lot of right. folks. We also have inflation, oil crises, political mm-hmm. turmoil. And then we have this person that is like, don't worry, we can read revelations and understand the end times. It's right. all going to be very clear. So let's go back to where the omen fits into all this. Let's. Because this is, I've heard, a movie podcast. I've heard. I've been told. So first of all, just to get it out of the way, the omen is not a biblically accurate movie. What? I know you're shocked. It's I okay. Am. You can take your time on this. So it's not worth our time to explain all the exaggerations and confabulations, but rest assured, it's more about the vibe of the apocalypse than the specifics of the apocalypse. I've got like apocalypse vibes. <laughs> She's really putting out apocalypse vibes and I'm digging it. 
So now that we know that yeah. about the omen not being entirely accurate, I guess, the omen did tap into audience fears and sense of helplessness. Mm-hmm. We write horror movies about all manner of things, but when they resonate and cement themselves into the canon, it's in large part due to how it interacts with or responds to the anxieties of the time. Right. The omen built mm-hmm. itself on that anxiety and then built something else. Oh. So pre-millennial dispensation. Oh, God. I always say it with such confidence. Pre-millennial dispensationalism. Let me was- try. Okay. Pre-millennial dispensationalism. Yeah, yeah, did yeah. Did I yeah. do it? Yeah, you did. Oh, did you hear how slow yes. I had to go? Oh, that was tough. I just started like pre-millennial. Got this. Pre-millennial. <laughs> It's it's a lot of syllables. Premillennial um, dispensationalism. Yes. Yes. God, yes. nailed it, Nikki. Bam, bam. Okay, go ahead. So premillennial dispensationalism was not favorably viewed in the mainstream in the 1830s. And even as it grew in popularity, it was more on the fringes. The 1830s? Yeah, so that's when Darby did his thing. Whoa. Yeah. 1830s? Uh-huh. That's not bad. I don't know. I'm like, whoa. I just was picturing more like just the 80s and the 70s. Uh-huh. And I was like, we're going that far back. Oh, no. So like, I'm whoa. not saying that that's like the beginning of this no, thought, but, but that's like one of the major it... tenets. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I just didn't realize it was that far back. Jeez. Okay. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's not a new concept yeah. of like, we're going to read this literally and right. we're going to like organize people but it just around this journey. In yeah. this particular time. Okay. And cool. Duran argues the omen normalized it. No, the omen. Yeah. So part of the normalization process is in tying it so closely with current events or stresses, right. distrust, sensing corruption around us, etc. The other side is the market that it creates. Yeah. So this movie arguably laid out a path for other films and said, we did it. The audience loved it. And from there, we encounter the familiarity effect. Mm-hmm. It's also called the mirror exposure effect. And this is basically the psychological phenomenon that explains how repeated exposures to the same stimulus is enough to make us view it as familiar mm-hmm. and therefore preferable to something that is unfamiliar. Okay. So just by being exposed to it, yeah. it becomes something that we are familiar with right. and we're going to view it more favorably than something else. Even if we don't actually have any idea what it is, we're like, oh, I, I recognize this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So in Duran's opinion... Uh, this theologically inaccurate movie about the apocalypse is a perfect example of a film that encapsulates the social anxieties of the time and was a massive cultural and religious influence Jeez. moving forward. Yeah. So, of course, it was, like, a huge fucking hit. Oh, yeah. And, and it I'll, was. I mean, I read that. I was like, yeah, this movie fucking succeeded. Jeez. Oh, yeah. And so I'll get into it a little bit more with tropes, but some of them are like, yeah, this has always been in the book of Revelations and, like, the translations that we've had, but no one fucking knew that until yeah. this movie. Oh it wasn't God. in the camp. Like, it wasn't in the mainstream. Right. Yeah. So I think it's really fascinating to say, like, this movie is so very clearly of its time and then sets a precedent moving forward that changes things. Oh, my God. That's wild. So that's society. That's... <sighs> Like we said this in the beginning, and you know what? I I do have a weird a little more appreciation. Yeah? I don't know, a little bit. I didn't realize that it was that rooted in the time period. Like, mm, yeah. I was just like, what's scary? The devil. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was like, oh my God, basically just using the fear of a lot of people to be like, let's make a movie. Mm-hmm. Jeez, that's terrifying. Huh. Okay, yeah. now I'm interested. I don't know. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I that just makes me happy. Had no reason to understand why they made it. I don't know. I was like, I don't know anything about the omen. All right. Huh. I still didn't love it. <laughs> this is allowed. Because we're talking about horror now. Um, but let me say before we get into all of my notes and everything, I think one of the reasons I maybe didn't enjoy it 
It's not the movie's fault. I think it might be like my TV's fault. Um, because the movie was really dark and it was really hard for me to see because I don't have a great TV. And I was already like, like an hour into it to the point where I was like, well, if I move, like it'll take me a long time to get moved and everything. And I was like, I'll just stay here. And then the movie got like progressively darker. There are scenes that are darker. And I was like, I really can't see. Oh yeah. I (laughs) think that might've been your TV because it wasn't that dark. No. So I really think, I think my TV kind of thwarted me on this because I really just couldn't see. Yeah. And as I've said before with other movies, if I can't really see what's going on, I lose interest. Yeah. So I don't know if everything that I've written down is like the movie's fault. It may just be like, I was distracted and I wasn't seeing it as nice as like it can be seen. Mm. I have a feeling that if I saw this in theaters, I probably would have really liked it. Hmm. Potentially. So I'd like to watch it again. Yeah. So when I rate the movie at the end, if it's low, just know that like it could change. Because yeah. I really think I, I got not a great viewing experience. <laughs> it was It was not ideal. That's fair. But that that said, I do have notes. Yes. Um, not a ton because, like I said, I, I didn't take in that much. Um, my very first note is that I thought they were saying baby boo. Baby boo. Baby boo. Baby boo. <laughs> boo. I, I really did. Uh, I also said, like, of course the Antichrist is a wealthy kid. You know? Oh, like, yeah. Of course. If the Antichrist is going to be anything, it's going to be a fucking little, little shit. Brat. Little yeah. bratty rich kid who's yeah. like, where are my presents? He didn't say that, but he's thinking it. He's thinking it. Because it was his birthday, correct? It was his birthday, yes. Oh, that, that part really does creep me out. That's a horrific scene. It's really horrific. Um, obviously, look at the content warnings, just so you know, before we like get started. But yeah. yes. So when when she jumps off, it really just irked me. Not irked me in a bad way. Like, oh, I'm mad. It's just like something inside me was like, oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Especially because like they did a really good job of making it scary because so many varied reactions. I think that's what creeped me out the most. Yeah. Is like you have parents who obviously know what happened and they're very upset. You have Damien who doesn't seem to like give a shit. Then you've got some kids who don't know. So they're just staring. And I'm like, oh my God, that's upsetting. And the photographer who's like, okay, I got to get this. So you have just like this range of reactions. Exactly. And it's just like hard to put yourself in anyone's shoes because anyone, they're all just having such a different reaction that you're like, I don't know what I would do. And it's just weird because at first I was like, oh, well, the young kids, of course, like they don't know. But they do cut to a girl who's a little older and she's still just staring. So I'm like, what do you do in this situation? I don't know. They did a good job of starting out with a situation that seems so unprecedented. It seems like something you wouldn't experience in a big setting like that. Like in a very big open party. It just seems like something that you wouldn't... I don't know. Freaked me out is what I'm saying. Yeah. So they did start off with a very unsettling note. That's for sure. Um, And then when she shouts, it's all for you, Damien. I was like, stop. (laughs) It's going to go to his head. And then it did. (laughs) He's already a white man. Don't stop his ego. (laughs) Um, Also, Kate, you'll be happy to know. Mm -hmm. I do not think Damien is cute at all. Good, good, good. I not like my sweet, dear little Michael Myers. Mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm, think mm -hmm. he is cute. I thought he was just fucking annoying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, he's the Antichrist. I thought he was evil as well. But mostly I was just like, this little shit. 
Yeah, that scene where he's like playing with the pool balls and mm-hmm. Kathy's just like, I have a migraine. And she Robert comes like, in and he's like, it's not that bad. And she's like, get this child out. I was like, girl, I get it. If I, I had a it. migraine, I'd be like, that kid is, is gone. We're done. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, don't worry. I didn't think he was cute. They did good. Um, I did like that they had a photographer like cracking this case wide open, though, because as a photographer, my dream is to someday just take a photo and be like, I solved it. (laughs) I got it. The information's here. Uh (laughs) Um, But I thought it was cool, too, just because it is kind of, it's just spooky. Because especially back in the day, obviously, film photography, that was just the norm. So you get a lot of issues when you do, when you develop photos like that. It's just super common to get, like, that, like, moment with that little streak. Yeah, like, you get a lot of stuff you can't control. Um, So it would be very likely for him to just be like, whatever, that's another issue. And then slowly to keep seeing it. It's very creepy. Yeah. I like that they did that. One of the few things that I was like, oh, that's scary. Again, probably other scary things. I just couldn't fucking see. That's fair. Yeah. But I did like that. Um, I like especially, we're going out of order, but I liked especially his picture. Um, oh, in the if, mirror? Yeah. Because if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, he, he's this photographer is taking photos of people basically that are just sort of involved or at least kind of like on the outskirts of this child basically like involved in his life um and they are having photos taken of them where they have something going through them or like there's like a glitch where it just looks i don't know glitch is not the right word either because this is not digital um (laughs) where it's like something that is wrong with the visual of the photograph and it doesn't make sense until you see how they've died (laughs) exactly so it's like it looks like there's nothing really that wrong with the photo. It's just like, oh, yeah, that happens until you see their death. And then you're like, that's terrifying. Or you see multiple photos of the same person yeah. that have the same thing. And it thing. just keeps yeah. happening. So that was neat. But his is especially cool because he takes the picture in the mirror to take a picture of himself. And he has the same thing. Then he's killed with a mirror. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's like, and then at the end when he is dead, they show him again in his like head. He's been decapitated. And his head is uh, looking into a mirror uh it's just it was a very neat moment very scary because it was just like very accurate to what he saw um which helps solidify the like this is not a coincidence which is great because that is the conversation that's happening right before he dies is like maybe things are a coincidence like i'm not gonna kill this kid like Mm -hmm. things could just be happening and i'm like oh it's not it's not though that moment cracked me up though he throws the knives and i'm like that went like three feet (laughs) not only that but he's in a busy fucking street. And he's going, I won't murder this boy. And I'm like, dude, careful. Like, lower your voice. Someone's going to be like, that guy's going to murder a boy. So I picture them, like, Italians being, like, fucking Americans. Right. And then just, like, zoom away on their moped. Little mopeds, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, he, yeah, he throws the knives. And I'm like, again, busy street. Someone's going to be like, sir, please. Like, <laughs> don't throw your ancient knives at me. I just, I could, I I love in movies where people have conversations like that in a busy, crowded area and no one's concerned. Mm -hmm. If someone shouted that and I was just downtown, I'd be like, okay, well, that guy's going to murder someone. Maybe we should do something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, So yeah, let me see if I can get back on track here. Oh, I did think the, um, the nanny was terrifying. The, the new, yeah, Baylock. I don't. She? Gave me so much rage in my heart. I want to yeah. let you finish what you were saying. Well, no, I just can't pinpoint it. I was going to ask you. I was like, I can't pinpoint what made her seem so evil. 
to me, it was the fact that she'll come in and she just bowls over what anyone else wants to say. Yeah. And so, like, there's a lot of, like, ingrained classism in this where it's right. like she's, quote unquote, the help. She's supposed right. to listen. So there's, like, that that you have to unpack. But then there's also just she comes in and they say, okay, we want to do this. And she says, I think it's actually best if we do this. And they said, well, we're his parents. Right. And, like, we actually get to choose what happens with our child. And she's like, I think I know better than you. Yeah. And so the way that she just so confidently asserts her will yeah. is terrifying to me. Not because it's, like, out of place or, like, not her station. No, But because just... she is just, like, shamelessly, like, asserting herself. It's and... also... It's a very quiet confidence. Oh, yeah. That is so scary. She's not, like, yelling at them. She's not providing them with any evidence towards why she thinks what she thinks is best she's just like i think it's best yeah so like that scene where kathy is like okay well isn't damien gonna come with us to the wedding she's like i don't really think it's best for him and kathy's like i i get to decide what's best for my child and like i want this child to go and Baylock is like do you well you know with all due respect that's when you know it's like one of those no offense moments no offense (laughs) but I don't think like a child will understand all of the cap like right do you really think a five-year-old will understand the nuances of it's like yeah and she's like it doesn't fucking matter if my child understands it I've decided I want him there and so it's like that weird like mutiny yeah from Baylock, where it's just like you don't know what she's gonna do because yeah. you know that she is so goddamn determined to raise the antichrist to like you know unleash the fathoms of hell whatever you know to me that was like the thing about her like when she brings the dog into the house first of all i want to say i love dogs i love always bring dogs. a dog into the house always i was mad though because i was like you have to get people's consent to bring an animal into the house right like that's just not something that you do like oh look at this fun thing i pulled a dog inside and then yeah. second of all if you are living in someone else's home you have to ask them if you can bring a dog inside. And so the way that she just does everything, yeah. and it's like, do first apologize later type thing. And not, not even apologize. I don't know. She unnerved me so much. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad it wasn't just me because she really creeped me out. Yeah. And I thought it, a lot of it was because like, she just doesn't give a fuck what anybody says or does. Mm-hmm. As, lo- as long as Damien's getting what he wants, she's like, oh, I'm happy. So like, he wants a dog, he's getting a dog. Yeah. He wants this, he's getting it. Like, she's just, ugh. And you can... It's really unsettling at the part where she first comes in, does her whole interview, and you're kind of like, okay, well, I I get the sense she's probably evil, duh. Like, that's whatever. But what is the creepiest is that neither of them can figure out who sent her. And I'm like, oh, at that point, I'd be like, fucking leave. I don't know who you are. And then she's like, oh, the agency saw and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, I'm still going to do my own research. Figure this out. I'm going to do my own research. (laughs) But no, I'd be like, if it's my kid, like... I would like to choose the nanny, I would assume. Mm-hmm. So then when she goes, may I see the child now? And she's like, of course. I'd be like, fuck no. <laughs> but that part, I'll save it because it could potentially be my scariest moment. But there's a mm-hmm. moment with her and Damien that just creeped me out. My scariest moment is also a Baylock moment. She's really unsettling. I, well, I'll get to I, it. It's even just it. her face that I, I can't pinpoint what it is. But there's something, I think it's like a smugness. Yeah. That just makes her seem like she knows what is gonna have she doesn't care like yeah she also seems to know that like she's kind of just there if she dies she dies she doesn't seem to like have her sole fear. purpose is to get damien yes. out like survive and like that's... get damien to the white house let damien yes. be the antichrist like that's all and that's just so scary yeah so yeah I-, I would say out of like everything in this film she just scares me the most like it's funny that damien is supposed to be the thing that you're like frightened of he's the antichrist but 
really it's just the people helping him along the way that are the scariest like the dogs the the baboons like it's all well they're not helping him but the things reacting to him and the things helping him are what drive the like the scares Mm -hmm. it's not even him until they get the very end and he does his little creepy smile then you get a little bit of a moment yeah but yeah for the most part because like when he's you know watching the giraffes he has like that sinister smile like it's these really small moments of damien where he's like the big bad but he's not like the fighting antagonist like he's not the person that you're doing battle with yeah it's everyone that's protecting him it's interesting because he is the big bad but like not yet Mm -hmm. you know it's like he has all the makings of like what could be a terrifying person way in the future and I like that they they show you that. Like, they're like, oh, look, he's got something. He's capable. But that's not what's supposed to scare you in no. this movie. That's, I don't know. So, like, this is why I feel like I would like it more if I could just see more of it. Because I do like the scares. I like the way it scares you. Mm-hmm. I just, I, it was the cinematography and, like, the lack of being able to see things for me that made me, like, eh, I kind of lost interest. But I don't think it's the movie's ball. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, and I guess I'm interested, did the cinematography feel kind of plain to you? I don't know if it felt kind of plain to me, but I want to get your opinion because you could see it better than I could. Hmm. So it could potentially just be that I missed stuff, but it seemed very, um, you haven't seen this, but it kind of reminded me of Harold and Maude, but without the like really beautiful plainness yeah does that make sense like Harold and Mon's kind of plain but yeah. like in a very beautiful way where you see the beauty in the plain things yeah. whereas this one just felt eh, kind of plain yeah I would say that like a lot of the scenes felt very bland mm-hmm. but at the same time that's coming after watching 13 Ghosts and Mandy true so I don't know if that's a fair like right comparison so it's like yeah. what I put it up against Poltergeist which is like which a, is a little more yeah, closer but see um, I don't know. I'm not a good judge of cinematography yeah. because I tried desperately to see color. And I was like, in Mandy, I was like, I got it. That's pink. But in everything else, I'm like, they're okay. I tried really hard with this. But then once I realized that like my TV was pretty dark, I was like, I don't think that I'm going to be able to catch as much as I want to. I did like that really the only moments you get like bright colors, like with the stained glass and like the church and stuff like that to show like what it's about yeah. sort of like. There were some yeah. camera angles and, mm-hmm. like, movements that I really appreciated. So, like, yeah. the Irish father, I, I think it's Father Brennan. I don't entirely yes. remember everyone's names. no, I think that's correct. Uh, so they're meeting in the park. Yes. And when Father Brennan is going on and on about, like, quoting Revelations, mm-hmm. which we'll get to later, that's a trope. It's not actually from Revelations. <laughs> uh, where he's just, like, when he's in his, like, frantic, I yeah. have to tell you that you have to, like, accept christ eat his body drink his blood thing it's a close-up on his face and his eyes and it's very very close and then as soon as gregory peck is like no 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 it like pulls back and then you see how small brennan is in relation to gregory right robert right and um he's like standing over him and so he just looks so much smaller and like when it's just his face you see like the blueness of his eyes you see like the franticness you see all of this and it's so close and then as soon as he's like taken off that it's just so much interesting yeah so that's like one camera movement okay no i really like that just to show you like how much power somebody could have until you're like no and then it's like oh you're right sorry like it kind of yeah that's interesting um like getting caught up in it and then being like no no no." (laughs) and then immediately someone like kind of shoots you down and you lose all of that confidence and like something you had that's so neat 
Okay, yes, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. I bet I, I I'm gonna watch this again. Yeah. Um, one thing I did kind of notice, and then I read some notes about the cinematographer and the way he used um, cameras, and yeah. I was wondering if he used the technique in this because he used it in some of his other films, mm-hmm. but I noticed a little bit of it in this after I read about it. So I was like, oh, I wonder if he did it. Um, in some of his other films, he used like handheld cameras, mm. which I'm not saying they did that for this, but I'm just saying the way that they did it. He said he didn't want the camera to feel static. He wanted it to have a little bit of movement. Yeah. Because he wanted the camera to feel like it was breathing. He was like, I mm. want it to feel like it's part of it, like of the film. Like it's not just what you're seeing it yeah. on. It's like part of it. Yeah. And I kind of felt that like when they're driving, it's very yes. chaotic and it like kind of shakes and gives you a sense of urgency. Yeah. This whole movie has like a very intense sense of urgency. Yeah. Because it, the camera never stops kind of like shaking, but huh. not in a way that I dislike. Yeah. Because there was one movie, was it The Fourth Kind? Because I was like, sit still. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. There was, I think it's The Fourth Kind, but there are some movies where like cameras will move, but it doesn't feel like it has any purpose. Yeah. But this one did because like the father has to hurry and figure this out. The photographer is trying to get information to him really quickly. The nanny has to hurry up and like get Damien to where he has to go. So like everyone's in a hurry to do their own sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that it's cool because you get those shots of hurried camera movement, but then sometimes you'll get really nice still shots of like the mother who doesn't know what's happening and she's not in a rush because she doesn't have a rush to do anything. She's just trying to live her life completely unaware. So you get this like great shot of her trying to fix the plant and it's like very still, but then Damien comes in his like bike and it's like shaky again. And it's, it's just cool. I, I don't know. I that was the only thing that I noticed. Yeah. And that was mostly because, like, I didn't need the light to really see that. I could just see it. Um, but, yeah, I wonder if I would pick up on more. Yeah. <gasps> huh. But, yeah, that's... Mostly what I had is just that. Like, I don't... I just didn't have a ton. And I don't think it's the film's fault. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any notes on, like, horror specifically? Um, I mean, most of my notes for horror or going back to like the scariest moment and right. how it ties into tropes, like the way that they use religious iconography to like incorrectly. Oh uh, no. Oh wait, we had that before, didn't we? Oh yeah. Somebody had something it's and we trope, were like, yeah. no, like, that's not how it works. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but it was uh, great. I'm like going through my notes where like, I have these moments where yeah. I think some of the, one of my favorite things that they do, I can finish a sentence, I promise. Um, one of my favorite things is how they build tension mm-hmm. over scenes. And so, like, Father Brennan's running through the park. And at first, yeah. it's like, okay, well, like, the leaves are blowing cool. But then he starts running. Yeah. And, it, like, there are multiple, like, obstacles that he has to overcome until it's like, this door's locked, this door's locked. And then he's, like, bereft. And then he looks up. And then he's, you know, like... The way that it built the tension with the sound cues oh, the and sound, the movement, yeah. I loved it. So I do want to say, because it feels like now is the time, the music issue I had was not that it's bad music by any means. Right. It's that I personally am broken and I only like minor chords. <laughs> and so whenever something is like um, this swell of violins and yeah. it's like a major chord where it's supposed to be wholesome, I'm 
bored shitless where it's like I don't care <laughs> and so like then there's the moment where it turns and that's right. where I start being interested oh, okay. but when in those moments where it's like Robert and Kathy and they're like oh you're too sexy for the White House and it's like the swell of instruments that's so funny I hate that music because personally I don't enjoy it what's so funny is like I didn't even notice that music. So clearly I have a similar view because I just didn't even hear it. I was just like, oh, what? There's music there? Oh, very loud. (laughs) But like the music, I had the same love for like the tension building moments with the music because they did that not only with the way the music plays and when it plays, but they did it also like when it stops. Yeah. Which was so cool. Oh, there's a moment with, um, it's when they're in, I think Rome possibly. Okay. After they've been digging to see like the grave of like where mm-hmm. the actual child was buried and they're trying to get away from the dogs. Yeah. That's Is that in Rome. in Rome. That's 50 kilometers north of Rome. Okay. <laughs> um, but you have all these dogs barking and at first, you know, it's just dogs barking and you're like, oh, that's loud. But it goes on for so long that it starts to like blend together and become one just cacophonous, like stop. Like, yeah. It was all around me. And I, same with the baboons. It's just mm. like, it's, it starts to start out loud. And then it just becomes like all encompassing. Like, I don't like this. And it stops. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you're happy it stopped. But then you're like, why did it stop? Oh, <laughs> uh, Like with the dogs, it stops abruptly. And it goes straight to the wife in the hospital. And that little tiny phone ringing. And it's so light. It's like, bring, bring. And I was like, nothing good's going to happen. No. And I, and it's just like, I don't know how I knew that. It was it the sound? I don't know. But immediately I was like, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just so cool. Like you said, they built the tension. They build it. They build it. They build it. They drop it. Yeah. And you're, but you're still tense. Upset. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, should I be? <laughs> one of my favorite things, like one of my favorite things someone can do is use silence really well. So yes. there's this podcast that I listened to. I've listened to it at least four times. Mm-hmm. The first season is only, I think, six episodes with a few like interludes that are shorter. It's yeah. called Limetown. Okay. And I have like, I think they did a TV show or they were planning to do a TV show. It sounds familiar. Yeah. I think you're talking about that. I'm not really in tune with that, but basically like. I was obsessed with this show. I listened to all of it. And one of my favorite things, it's a podcast, but it used silence so well and so effectively to ramp up tension that I was like, don't listen to this while you're driving (laughs) because it was like, there are sudden noises. Yes. But then there's also like, you just, you can't, you have to be stationary, not operating a moving vehicle to listen to this podcast. But to me, like when movies not only use the like music to build tension, yeah. but the use of silence is right. also incredible and can't be understated. Oh, that's so good. Let me look it up real quick while I'm sitting here. <laughs> there's a podcast that we both listen to, but there's one specific one, one episode of it mm-hmm. that used silence really well and creeped me out. Okay, Bad Vibes. We oh, both yeah. listen to this. Um, bad Vibes is like a, it's like a cute code thing. Um, and it's basically just like, different horror stories and none of them are connected but they're like acted out they're they're really well done the sound design is incredible but there's one particular one which is the last one um called uh rarities oh so this episode's called rarities um and it's basically just about a guy going through like some rich guy's collection after he died but the collection is of like murderer memorabilia that he should not be able to have and it's him talking into uh uh, tape voice, recorder. Uh, yeah voice recorder tape recorder and there's just moments where he's not talking and you can tell he's like looking at the stuff and it just makes you feel like you're there because he's not talking mm-hmm. but you're like well, of course he wouldn't he's looking at stuff like so i love when podcasts movies anything because like 
you're not gonna have sound constantly in your real life so when they use it really well in films even when there is music i don't know it just works it works so well and it's so unsettling or it can be like really really beautiful in movies that aren't supposed to be scary like and really funny like there are times where like silence could be hilarious like you just have to use it well yeah we've talked about this so many times we've had movies before that are just like oh chef's kiss they Mm -hmm. use it so well and then some where they don't fourth kind (laughs) never forget (laughs) (laughs) okay but yeah that's i'm so glad you brought that up you're so right oh thank you oh my god thank you uh do you want to hear my less insightful notes oh hell yes i'll read my on on in what was it i almost said unsightful unsightful (laughs) yeah you read yours (laughs) then i'll read mine uh I don't really know what ambassadors do. Everything about amb- ambassadors I learned from that Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, Winding London. <laughs> I didn't either. I he kept calling him ambassador. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, I call back to Glass Shark, oh. as I always do. I was like, oh, the nanny sees the Rottweiler, stares into its eyes too long. Oh, there's one thing about hellhounds you gotta, gotta know. <laughs> uh, let's see. Nothing like Latin chanting. Uh, okay, so the monkeys have crimped hair fit to make a 2000 slumber girl party jealous. I can't. I was just like, I saw the baboon hair and I was like, that I is want, fine. I want the crimping that iron. Hair. <laughs> I want that. Uh, let's see. <laughs> and then Baylock is just like watching him bike in circles. They have a whole fucking house. Their and house he's is just huge. Biking in circles. And I was That's like, how is you know that... he's the anti. Yeah. And I was like, is that how you're going to lead the legions of hell? Just Get like in, in trike circles? <laughs> And then, uh, so when she falls, because she gets knocked over by Damien, she, like, grabs the, um, the banister thing. Pl- yeah, the banister. Yeah. Like, the banister's the railing on top. She grabs, like, the, the posts, bars. Yeah. Whatever the fuck they're called. I'm not an architect. I don't have banisters. What am I, the queen? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, help me. And he's like, I am a child. And also, I am the Antichrist. He's like, he's like, like mm. <laughs> and then, oh, little old me. And then she slips and falls because, of course, but she fall. turns midair. And I was like, yeah. cats do that. But like, how did, what are the, I want to know the physics of how you turned midair and then landed on your stomach. She like, it's such a cool, and I know it's like a special effect from the 70s. I'm not going to like harp on it, but like, she just turns and like, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it, but you're just like. You're not falling. No. <laughs> There's like a moment where it looks like she's on her back, just like turtling. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what yep. are you doing? And this is like a preference, I guess, for me. But in terms of like what I find scary, mm-hmm. to me, like the overwrought long scene of someone falling isn't as scary as someone falling and it's just over so quick because it was so fast and so like not dramatic yeah that it's shocking you to realize how fragile humans are we, like to me that's scary as shit yeah that's way scarier and this happened once in a movie that we did uh it was uh annabelle mm. which like don't go wrong that movie shit but this moment was really scary because i don't remember what happened it's something with the bunk beds you think that like the demon must just be gone or something and then oh you think she's gone is it when she's pulled out of the chair and then it drops her from the ceiling yes. yeah and it's quick as hell because both of us were like okay, where is she? Like, what's going on? And then boom, she hits the ground and you're like, fucking hell. Yeah. Like, it gives you no moment to be like, she's falling. You're like, she fell. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, I remember that. So I actually thought about that moment compared to this one. And I was like, yeah, when they draw it out, it just doesn't scare me much. Yeah. Like, but I, I, I don't hate the shot. It's interesting. It's artistic in a way. I just, I don't know. Doesn't yeah. scare me. Yeah. 
So yeah. Uh, uh, and then she just the way she releases him kills me. It looks like he's she's building like, it up. Okay. She's like, oh yes, I have build to charge up your speed <laughs> and go. Like, charge the track. And he's the like, child. hell yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird moment. I loved it. Oh, truly, yeah. Uh, and I have two more notes. Okay. Uh, the blood coming out of her mouth is much too milky. Oh, we don't like a milky blood. We don't. We don't. Like a milky blood. It was just not realistic. Uh, and it's then. Gross. This is after, okay, so uh, Robert is carrying Damien to the yeah. car, but he has knocked Damien out by falling oh, down the right. stairs. And I was like, okay, so he carries the lump of Antichrist into the car. <laughs> I've got this nice Antichrist lump. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> he, it's just a lump. And it's like, that's the Antichrist. <laughs> oh, I just, oh my God. So okay. those are my notes. Okay, let me see. I have more ridiculous ones, I'm sure. Okay, I said, cute demon dog. We love that. That yes. woman has to be evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that kid was really good at being evil. Yeah. Uh, I also wrote, this photographer is going to crack the case wide open. I was so excited. That dad was 60% eyebrows. Oh, and, and then, then like 20% ears. And then underneath I said, this whole movie is 60% eyebrows. Yeah. Every man in this movie just had the biggest eyebrows I'd ever seen. And I was jealous. Very Jurgen from this season. Oh my God, I love Jurgen. Jurgen's eyebrows are so powerful. That's where he kept his power. (laughs) We love Jurgen in this house. We love Jurgen in this house. Um, We love all of them. I guess I have some real knowns too. Mm. Um, This movie gives you emotional whiplash. It doesn't Mm. let you sit with one emotion for too long before it fills you with dread because of another thing that happens. Yeah. So it's weird. It's a slow movie, but it never has something not happening. Like it's, it's, it's a strange thing of emotions. Um, I don't think the villain's cute. Um, <laughs> I don't think... Oh, yes. Okay, we talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, for once, I don't think the villain is cute. Wild. Uh, that's it. So my notes actually weren't that ridiculous. Okay, I think okay, I okay. was doing my best to pay attention. It took everything I had. That's fair. Um, do you want to do scariest moment? Yeah. Yeah, what was yours? Okay, so it's the moment where uh, Robert is, like, cutting Damien's hair as he sleeps to try to find <gasps> oh, the mark yeah. of the devil. And first of all, like, that is a very long scene of cutting hair, and it feels very strange to me. It's uh, really long. Yeah, and I was like, will the kid not wake up? And then I remember me as a child sleeping through literally everything, so, eh. <laughs> and you can um, cut my hair. You can cut my hair if you want. Midnight uh, this is not permission. No one has permission to cut my hair right now from me saying that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to cut Nikki's hair. Actually, that's true. Yeah. Kate might actually cut my hair. <laughs> I might cut your bangs, yeah. <laughs> we'll post pictures if it goes well. <laughs> Woo! If it goes well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um... Oh, okay. So he's cutting Damien's mm-hmm. hair and then he's like, okay, well, fuck. Like, this there is the Antichrist. Is. Yeah. And he's kind of reeling and then suddenly just like, she just like, she just <laughs> screeches and she is oh, animalistic scary. in that moment intentionally. Yeah. Because previously she's been very prim and proper. She had her hair pulled back. She yes. had her airy fucking bangs that I hated. They were Because wispy. they're like barely there. They were just like, well, they're not like 80s wisps. They look they're like just spider, like spider legs. Like spider legs. I did not like her bangs. Um, Don't give me those bangs, okay? I, I would never. If you give me those bangs, I swear to God, podcast ended. Oh, God. I would never give everything, you those bangs. Everything is... Your hair wouldn't allow those bangs to happen. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whose side are you on? <laughs> uh, I don't know. So she has been so, like, cool, composed, like, always in her, like, yeah. uniform, whatever. And then in this moment, she's in her nightgown, and she is going she with everything <laughs> in her. Where it's this, like, unrestrained attack, claw, Ugh. do whatever, like, hit with the meaty part of your fist. Like, she's doing whatever the fuck she can. So scary. And so, first of all, there was a jump scare where suddenly she's on Bear. his back like a spider yeah. monkey. Uh, <laughs> on tight spider monkey. <laughs> and then, second of all, it's just, like, the absolute abandon that yeah. she has in that scene. So, to me, that's the scariest moment. 
Oh, this is so funny because my scariest moment is also her, but the complete opposite. Uh, my yeah. scariest moment is when she first meets Damien and she walks in and like doesn't even close the door. Um, and she very quietly says like, don't worry, little one. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of thee. I'll take care of thee. Yeah. yeah. And he just looks at her like, good. Like doesn't say anything, but he just looks at her like, yeah, you're damn right. You will. Huh? And she's just so happy to be there. And it. Oh, I just knew from that moment. I was like, you're going to creep me out this whole fucking movie, yeah. aren't you? Um, and then my second, this is not my scariest moment, but I meant to talk about this. And it was my possible scariest moment when the mom falls from the window in the hospital. Yeah. And she has that like veil. It's not a veil. It's her shirt. Yeah. But it looks like a veil. Yeah. I don't think this is like intentional, but when she falls from the building, it looks like that famous statue of uh, Mary holding Jesus. And That's- he's like flopped on her arms that's probably very intentional i couldn't tell i didn't want to like say this really intentional because it's i don't know she was like the way she's laying out of the hospital uh ambulance the way she's leaning out of the ambulance just looked so like helpless and it reminded me of that statue yeah and i was just like oh that's spooky so it was almost my scariest moment the way the shirt is stuck and yeah looks like a veil and it was just so scary yeah but then she she wins she's too scary Ugh. Oh, I get that. So that was my scariest moment. Okay. Are you ready for tropes? Oh, hell yeah. I'm ready for tropes. Okay. So <laughs> I whipped my bangs out of she my did. face. They weren't <laughs> even there. <laughs> so um, I'm mostly going to focus on how tropes are tools. Uh, and then I will have just like another one side by side. Yeah. But so one of the things on tvtropes.org, thank you very much, is that they say like tropes are tools. Tropes yeah. are not inherently good to use they're not inherently bad to use there can be like discredited tropes there can be like old worn out tropes that are just like cliched to use now but at the root a trope in itself is not good or bad it's just like a way to tell a story and so that's how i wanted to kind of approach this one artistic license religion subcategory (laughs) oh no (laughs) so We've talked about it before. I think we talked about it in The Conjuring mostly where yeah. it's like they often bring in a lot of like Catholic trappings of like the that rosary, was the crucifix, like all these things. Yeah. There was one I remembered and I was like, what was it? Yeah. Conjuring. Okay. And they're like very specific to Catholicism. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well actually like you're misrepresenting this or like priests don't do that. Well, in this one, like the... This is me not knowing, like, theology very deeply. But from what I've read and from, like, the things that I kind of know growing up in a church uh, are, like, the Catholics aren't, like, super invested in the end times in a literal sense. Yeah. At least, like, not broadly. And so, like, the way that Catholicism is represented, according to, I think, Duran said this, is, like, very much a Protestant critique of Catholicism where they're like, oh, the Catholic priests are in league with the devil because all the Catholic priests in this movie were first helping Satan. (laughs) And so you have like this moment and it really did strike me, but I didn't realize that it wasn't a thing until I read more. So I grew up in uh, a rural town. (laughs) Yeah. Rural. Rural. I grew up in the cornfields. So I grew up alongside a lot of folks that had varying, like from varying denominations, but I did grow up along people that talked about the rapture. Woo! Um, they were not like close family friends by any means, but I went to school with them and they talked right. to me about it. And one of them Why? said like the bumper sticker on her car when she got one would be during the rapture, this car will be unmanned. Like oh they God. talked about like being reborn and like that's like very evangelical. Anyway. Whoa. So like 
I'm not ever going to say like, this is a representational of everyone, but I have interacted with folks right. who have a very like revivalist core of their religion. And right. that is like part of fundamentalism. Yeah. And so when, uh, Father Brennan is first talking to, um, Robert, he's like, you have to accept Jesus into your life. Yeah. You have to drink his blood, eat his, fle- eat his flesh. That's very communion. The yes. drink his blood, eat his flesh. That's communion. Right. Like the Holy Sacrament. Even I knew that, surprisingly. But the other part where it's like reborn, accept him into your life. Like that's, say what? that's more of like Protestant. Oh. And so like, I can't speak to like Catholicism, but I do know that that is like more of a tenant in like, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I, it was very interesting because they did have, um, a religious, like, what do they call him? Like, um, what do you call the person that you have on staff to, like, help tell you if you're doing something wrong? Kind of like a sensitivity reader, but it's like, I was uh, like, oh, fuck, I don't know. I'll find it later. Okay. And I'll put it in the show notes. But, uh, <laughs> it's like they actually had, like, someone on set that was supposed to be like, okay, well, this is not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, now. yeah, I'll have to look up the name. It's on the tip of my tongue. I yeah. can't fucking think of I'll it. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it with the memes. Yeah. Because I know that I'll be frustrated. I know. I'm going to be mad when word. I see it. And I'll be like, God damn it. Yeah. yeah. But now. there so many of the, like, articles that I read were just kind of like, apparently he didn't really do his job because <laughs> so much of this not biblically like, accurate. Tired. I can't. <laughs> so anyway, I think it's, I obviously, I have never been Catholic. I am not currently Catholic. <laughs> I don't know. Never been there. Don't, don't know, know much about it. I have been to one Catholic wedding. It was very long. They're so long. My family's Catholic. It's yeah. long, man. <laughs> so I can't say like with any certainty that this is like never brought up in Catholicism. Yeah. But I can say that like the language that was used is very reminiscent of mm-hmm. like revivalist and fundamentalist stuff. Yeah. And so it's very interesting that like this Christian fundamentalist, like very Protestant uh, theme and like storyline has catholic imagery pasted all they really over just it got stuff all over the place yeah. uh so that's the artistic license religion all right yeah and there's more to it so like when the priest like recites the poem like when like they return to zion when this happens when this yeah. happens he's like that's from revelation it's not <laughs> it's not yeah and so like the uh biblical scholar or whatever that's not what he's called but like the person that was on set was like oh it's like an interpretation but don't worry it does like you very closely to the scripture and it's just like an extrapolation it's not but uh <laughs> so it's like they're like this is a quote from revelations it is not a quote from revelations um and then like i don't know the facts behind this one but this goes down to like when christ was born in terms of like december 25th was like not the original <laughs> date of christmas because right. of pagans and like blah 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 so June 6th was probably oh. not, like... So June 6th was chosen as Damien's birthday because 6-6. Six, six, like oh, the 6th day, yeah, the 6th yeah, yeah. month, whatever. Um, but it probably doesn't actually align that way because of the way that we view calendars and holidays. <laughs> right. Anyway, so those are, like, really minor things. But uh, artistic license religion, Love it's it. basically used to, like, instill this sense of... I don't know, mysticism isn't really the right word, but people that aren't Catholic, I think, tend to view Catholicism as like, oh, look at all the ritual, look at all, like, the really fancy trappings of it, like, oh, look how, like, they're chanting Latin, how do you even know that? Like, from an outside (laughs) perspective, it looks very spooky. (laughs) It's spooky as hell. And so I think that a lot of folks use that to elevate the horror in a way where it's like, it probably doesn't come from a lived experience, but it's like, oh, they love rosaries, do (laughs) that. They love them. (laughs) 
So that's one of them. And then uh, ominous Latin chanting. Yeah. That's a trope that just stands on its own. I don't have to say anything about it. We love a nice ominous chant. We love ominous chanting. And then the last one I have is Number of the Beast. So Uh 666. This was something that like most people probably did not know that the number of the beast was 666 according to Revelations. But this movie cemented it in the popular conscious. And so now like... Whenever people are like, oh, 666. People didn't know about that until The Omen. That's so funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's what my articles told me. So. That's great. Yeah. The mark of the beast. What if I just like, what if like you're cutting my hair? Uh Okay. And you're like, just real quick. Let me just. And I have like six. What are you going to do? You still going to let me become the Antichrist? I'd be like, "Uh, you didn't get this tattoo with me. How fucking dare you? (laughs) You could you could join me. If Thank I become you. the Antichrist, you're totally welcome to join. Can I manage your schedule? I'm very good at that. Oh, my, you have to. Please. Yeah. I will be the coolest Antichrist. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. We're just going to sit around, hang out, be chill as hell. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. So. Don't worry. I'll manage your books. Thank you so I much. It. Yeah. Because, God, I don't want to do it. I shouldn't have to. I'm the Antichrist. Yeah. Um. Dang. Does that mean it's time to rate the movie? Yeah. All right. Well... How many marks of the beast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels about right. I mean, really, I mean, oh, it's just too good. I don't yeah. think I actually wrote any down, like, specifically. Um, My only one would have been, like, lump I... of Antichrist. <laughs> the lump of Antichrist. I forgot about the lump. Uh, but I think Mark of the Beast is really good. Yeah, how many marks of the beast, you know? All right, yeah. <sighs> okay, are you ready? She's, she's yeah. looking at her fingers really intently. Okay. I'm ready. Me One, too. Two, three. Oh, she got a knuckle. Three yeah. and a half. Okay. <laughs> Who should go first? Uh, you go first. Okay. I gave it three and a half mm-hmm. because I really appreciate the cultural context of this movie in a way that I didn't anticipate. Yeah. Watching it, kind of bored. But I feel like that is partially because the music, even though I respect the shit out of it, and right. I think it was really beautifully done, it's just not something that draws me in. And I'm just like, mm, get like, rid of that. Thanks. <laughs> um, and I felt like it was very striking. I can, re- I guess what I'm coming down to is I respect what it did in its time. Yeah. It is not the most interesting movie for me personally to view. Yeah. But I still mm-hmm. respect how it was a product of its time and did other things. Even if I don't like the things that it did. Yeah, I think I it's very fascinating. So Jeez, I, that's wild. I think I like to analyze this movie. And in terms like, of like... more than watch it. <laughs> yeah. And watching it, I think my best watching experience... I watched it for the first time with one of my friends. Okay. And we were drinking wine and like eating popcorn with M&Ms in it. And oh, it's like, yeah. to me, that is like the best way to watch this movie. Kind of like how The Evil Dead would be best in a theater right. like, or like way with better a group with, of friends. Yeah. So I to me, this is a movie that you don't like sit silently and watch like wrapped. You like engage with friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So three um, and a half um, marks of the beast. Yes. Yeah, which yeah. is, you know, six, 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 three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it a perfect six, six, six. Mm. Um, as in three. I gave it three. Uh, I, I, I do like it. And I'm saying three like for now because I think I have, po- I have the potential to yeah. really like this movie. The fuck? I couldn't see anything. And yeah. That's not the movie's fault. Um, I just have a not great CV and it was like really tough. And I think I missed a lot of the details in like lighting and stuff, which is like my favorite part. So if I miss that and like we found out with 13 Ghosts, if I can't see something clear or if it like in that particular movie like flickers too much, I just don't retain the information. Yeah. So I lose interest. Yeah. And I think that's what happened here because I do, I loved the music. I appreciated it. I like when, especially after learning about Nerd Corner and everything and like how much significance it had, 
that's even cooler. I'd love to watch it again when I can really see it and like take it all in. Um, so three for now. It was really unsettling. It's spooky as hell. And uh, I'd, I'd like to watch it again. Yeah. And then see how I feel like later. Yeah. Maybe someday we'll do like a, a rewatch. Yeah. And see how we feel, you know, after. I can dig it. Right? Like yeah. that'd, be, that'd be neat. I'd like to see how I feel. Yeah. So okay. for now, three. All right. So that's six and a half marks of the beast total. Yes. Which seems fitting. Seems pretty fitting. Yeah. You just had to mess it up with that knuckle. I really did. Just so, had to go there. Sorry about it. So that wraps up our discussion of The Omen. I believe so. Yeah. So if you enjoyed your time with us, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. That is like the place that determines podcast rankings. And it also just makes us feel really good to it see does. what you have to say. You have to do it. I'm the Antichrist. <laughs> well, Sorry. she said, and you know, now That's... that word is law. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Ghoul With It, where every Wednesday we'll post the movie mm-hmm. for the week, as well as where to find it if it's streaming for free somewhere. If yeah. it's not streaming for this free. This one was on, I Amazon. It was on I Amazon. I think I mentioned it on Twitter, but I was like, you know, sorry, it's Amazon. Yeah. Sorry about it. Uh, the extended mm-hmm. show notes on our website, JustGoWithItPod.com, and that's where we post like the memes we reference or my cool charts. Super cool charts. My charts. <laughs> uh, and just like all of my sources. And yeah. then I write it's some great. extra notes and stuff. You can also take a look at our Patreon yeah. <laughs> at patreon.com slash justglowwithit. Uh, and we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. And they are Kim, Kelly, Neher, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, Kayla, Meg, Katie, Morgan, Brady, and Kenny. Woo! I we love have, our patrons. They're um, incredible. Our Patreon's great. Yeah. I highly recommend, not just because... It helps support us, but also because it's just a blast. We have a great Discord. We just did a simul watch of a horrible movie on Netflix called The Guest. Oh, God. And where we all synced it up and watched it together and talked. And it was a buck wild film. And I never would have known about it if it wasn't for our Patreon, our patrons, because they chose it. They chose it. They chose this one. We always forget. This is a Patreon pick. This was a patron pick. (laughs) Our patrons chose this movie. Hello, patron pick. God, I can't believe I forgot. That's a patron pick. Um, yeah, me. so they chose this movie. They chose that movie. Our patrons have great taste. We love our patrons. The guest was Buckwild. Join our Patreon. It, it's a blast. It's a fun time. So the intro and outro music was created by Anthony Rockazell, and the cover art is by our very own Nikki Solomon. Tis I, the Antichrist. <laughs> I love to draw. <laughs> I'll pencil it into your schedule. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Only I can do the air oh, horn God noises. Damn. Did you really think you could just get away with that? I have overstepped my role. I can't believe you just did that. I'm going to give you my best baby boo chant. Baby boo. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you. Are you threatened? I, I'm quite frightened. Yeah, you yeah. damn right you are. <laughs> <laughs> Now say something. You'd like that, wouldn't you?